Now, I appreciate Brother Jonathan more than he realizes. I'm sitting out there thinking how that I came to this church years ago when he started, and and uh, I've seen the uh, growth in him and the church, and uh, I know there had to be a lot of difficult times, a lot of days. I've never heard him say it, I don't think, but we're you just get up and say, you know what, to the wind with this. I'm going to do something else. But he didn't. He held on, and I appreciate what God is doing. Amen here in this part of California. It's a dark place, no doubt about it, but most of our nation is and our world. But thank God for the light. Amen. I believe these churches like yours are a lot, a lot of the gospel and the light to this lost world, and we... And people are going to be looking for the light, folks. Amen. They're going to be looking for the light. And I, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate his presence that I feel here this morning. And uh, I just, there's no way to, to articulate how thankful I am that you can go into the house of God and just sense the presence of the Lord when people worship him. Appreciate Margaret and Adrian coming over with us again. And bringing us and hosting and all of those things, and uh, we're just uh, glad we're here. Amen. I want to take just a moment. I uh, <clears throat> I had a little piece of paper. That is one thing about aging you forget, and I forgot what I did with my paper. But anyway, I'll do it from memory, I guess. The uh, I know for years you folks helped us with those, uh, we call them gypsies, they're not offended by that, Roma, and for two years we weren't able to have that youth camp because of the restrictions in Slovakia, the COVID restrictions were some of the most intense in the world, but thank God this year, this summer, for the first time, and what over, this will be thir three years I think, that they're finally going to get to have that youth camp for those Roma kids, amen, so... We are really thankful for that, and we appreciate all that you, every time you gave something, we weren't able to have it. We just put it, they put it into an account, and uh, so thank God they have enough funds to pay for this camp already, and we appreciate that. We're excited about it, in fact. And then uh, just back in September, Armenia was the first place I've been able to get to. They opened up the country, and uh, while I was there, I was able to visit the area, not only the House of Hope always, but the area where we have a feeding program, and I know you know about that, and so many families a month receive food. Uh, it's not enough to feed them for a month, obviously, but it, every little bit helps, and a lot of them have kids. I'm going to tell you, I, I've been, some, been to some poor places. They, was a, they call it a, their house. It's not. It's an old cattle barn built out of stone, but uh, I forgot how many, six, seven kids in that. Somebody lets them live in it, and uh, it, it is bad. And one of the girls, she's about 20 years old. She is mentally handicapped and physically handicapped. But uh, some, some of these families, there's no daddy involved whatsoever. You know, I don't know always what happens with that. I just know you got a woman with children that need help. So I don't ask questions, just help them. But he, he was around, but he was an alcoholic, abusive alcoholic. 
Well, the kids can't help that. So you just help them best you can. So we've been doing that. But then recently, we got into trying to, the earthquake it hit, I don't know when that was, another one, you know, exactly what year or so ago, I can't remember now. But um, the earthquake destroyed some of those shacks and little things some of them were living in. So we brought in, start out, two of those big storage containers and put them together and put a door between the two of them, cut out some windows, put in doors, and for this particular family with a bunch of kids and uh, usually always one, and that is severely handicapped. So we put them together and uh, we put water to it, a shower in it, bought them some furniture and what have you, and painted it inside and out and sheetrocked it and all those. It really looks pretty decent, I can tell you. It's a mansion to them. But you know what was amazing? We were able to buy that thing, bring it in with cranes, set it down, redo it inside and out, water to it, uh, shower in it, some furniture, appliance, all that for $11,100. Amen. You can't buy a clump of dirt in California for $11,100, can you? Amen. But it's so now, so now we've got another family, 10 kids. Uh, there's a father involved, but he has three of his sisters. Her husband's in prison. She can't even feed them. One of those is severely handicapped as well. So we're going to do the same. So I don't know. It's just a lot of uh, needs in Armenia, one of the poorest countries, I guess, in the Middle Eastern area. So continue to pray for them. And I just got back from Israel. First time I was able to get back there since I came home. Uh, and COVID broke out, and uh, the Lord just blessed us, the opportunity to preach there in Nazareth, and we're going to try to do the, the gathering for the pastors there, hopefully this September. And the Lord willing, uh, in just a couple of weeks or so, we're supposed to go to Spain. Spain is still closed at the moment, but we are planning to enter, and we have 75 pastors and their wives to bring them together. Most of them have to work jobs, secular jobs, so they've taken off. And we're going to have the gathering in Spain for those pastors, uh, God willing. And then the next month, we're headed to Belfast, to the uh, Republic of, I mean, the uh, Northern Ireland, if you will. It's wide open now. It's amazing how fast things are changing. So please continue to pray for us. That God would help us. There's a hunger out there, folks, I'm telling you. And people want to hear. I, I, I tell them the only preaching that will work in these times is prophetic preaching. Not about Ezekiel's war. Not about a bridge going to fall in a certain city on a certain day. But what God is saying at this moment in time to that body, to that church. I want to know what he's saying, don't you? I want you to stand with me this morning. I really, I'll be honest with you, is a little torn because I got where, you know, do a lot of Sundays and sometimes in one church in the morning, one at night, or sometimes you just, you're there for two services and there, you have more to say than time to say it. And that's, that was kind of where it was here. And I just really was torn and I kept asking the Lord to give me direction and uh, to know what to say. And then when you're dealing with things about this, what you believe God is saying for the end time church, 
you just you feel like you're inadequate about how to say it, articulate it, and you're not sure, not because people aren't uh, smart enough to get it, but just because you, you don't feel like you're able to convey it like it should be, should be said. And I was at a particular church, and someone had said to me, he said, I'm not sure folks even really got that. And, but I remember, I preached that morning, not this message, but I preached what I believe God was saying to the church for then and the future. And I, I just finished it. People were raising their hands, you know, and it was kind of quiet. And I walked back to the front line of chairs there, and I just laid my Bible down in my notebook, and I said to God, I said, I, I don't know if I said it right or not for them to, to get what I'm saying. I'm not sure that they got it. And about that time, the Spirit of God came into that place weeping, people praying in the Spirit. It was just like a wind that just blew through. I'm not talking about running the aisles or anything, but just the, it just came. And I just knew in my spirit the Lord was saying to me, you may not be able to convey it. You may not be able to articulate it just right, but I'll take care of that. You, you just say it. So I'm going to say it this morning, Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel, was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter, enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest. Now that Jesus there really means Jesus Joshua of the Old Testament. I don't... You can research that and make sure I'm telling you right about it. For if Jesus had given them rest, or Joshua had given them rest, then would not he have afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest, he also have ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I just call this the call beyond and the rest, the R-E-S-T, the rest of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you always for the privilege to be here in this pulpit, in this church, before this people. I thank you 
that you have given us the word of the Lord, and I thank you for the anointing. I cannot say or do anything to affect people except you give it. And for that, I am grateful for that unction, and I pray that you would give that unction in a special way upon the hearts and the minds of the people. And we'll praise you for it and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. In February of 2019, I was in South Alabama, and I was in a hotel. It was a Saturday evening. I, uh, I was waiting to get ready to go out for a late dinner. The pastor and his entourage was going to pick me up in a, a while. And I'm, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, this is the strangest place for a spiritual thing to happen, but I was in the exercise room walking the treadmill. And I, I don't know what I, exactly, I was listening to something, but in that experience, the Spirit of the Lord began to talk to me. I'm the only one in there, to the best of my remembrance. And he began to talk to me, walking that treadmill, about the mercy seat, how that, you know, I'd, I, well, my mind went back. Now, this was something that had happened prior to that about the mercy seat, God dealing with me at night up there, just, you know, seeking his face, and how that he would meet with Moses there and commune with him. And then I, I just never could see where all that was going. But as I was walking that treadmill, the Lord began to speak to me about that outer court of that temple. Now, I'll be honest, I, I never have been one to preach about such things, you know, types and shadows, for very much at all, being an evangelist. But he began to talk to me about that outer court of that, of that tabernacle there, or the temple, either one. And here is what that still small voice said to me. He said, here is the place of salvation, the place of cleansing of sins and blood running like a river, you know, as they offered up that sac those sacrifices day in and day out. And as he said that to me, he said, here are where most Christians, most of my people are today in that outer court. Next, as I'm, I never quit walking the treadmill, and I never felt like I should. I, I mean, I'm hearing something. I'm not going to mess it up. Next, he began to talk to me about the inner court, the holy place. This is where the lampstand stood. And that oil, you know, came into those lampstands, and that, that fire burned in that. And he said, this is the place of the spirit baptism that many of my people have seen the light on and have been filled here in that inner place. It was for witnessing and empowerment. And, and he said, my people must come here to that. And I, I, I'm walking that treadmill and I'm beginning to meditate, to meditate on that. How? Over a hundred plus years ago. Well, right here, not too far away at Azusa Street, the spirit fell 
prevail and a great revival began. There were other places, you know, where that, that took place. He showed me that this was the place where that the spirit baptism was and the Pentecostal church still belonged or still was at in that second place, in that place of oil, that place where the, the menorah was, if you will. And I'm thinking of that. We dwelt there for over a hundred years. And, and I, I just know, listen, how that the people of God experienced that. My old mentor used to say that, you know, there, when, John, when Luther came and begin to preach the message of salvation by faith through grace and not of works, and nail that 99, I think it was, thesis or that law upon the door of the church or that paper on the door of that church and said that man must be saved by faith through grace alone. Well, my mentor used to say that message of salvation was always in the Bible. Luther didn't just conjure that up, but it was like a veil was over it. Same thing about sanctification. Uh, you know, John Wesley began to preach that it's always been in the Bible. It never. It didn't just appear there one day. Same way with the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It was always there. But over a hundred plus years ago, the Spirit began to move and light began to be manifested on this doctrine of the baptism in the Spirit. And He showed me, again, this is where most of the people of God, as Pentecostal people, if you will, are still there in that place. And then, as I'm walking that treadmill, I know I heard him say in my spirit, but beyond is the holiest of all. I don't know how to explain to you what I felt the moment I heard him say that to me. My heart leaped within me, but beyond is the holiest of all. I know this is where the high priest went in once a year and not without blood. I knew about that holiest of all. It had the ark of the covenant, the seraphims there facing each other above the mercy seat where that blood or sprinkled there once a year for the sins of the priest and for the people. I heard that still small voice say to my spirit, I never quit walking that treadmill. The only light in this holy place is my presence. Hallelujah to God. Nothing here but my presence, the presence of a holy God. He went on. He said here is illumination. Here is a place of revelation. Here is a place of glory. And as he's speaking that into my spirit, I am thinking in my mind. I never articulated this. I never said it out loud. But I'm thinking in, thinking in my mind, yes. But this is where the high priest came in. Now, I made this statement, you know, because most of us have said this for, forever, where the, the high priest came into that holiest of all with a rope tied around his ankle in case he fell dead. You know, that they could pull him out. Well, come to find out, somebody came to him and said, where is said, I haven't been able to find that in the Bible. Well, it's not theirs. Why? It's traditional. It's oral tradition. But most 
of the old rabbis say that it was a true tradition, how else would you get him out if he fell dead? If those bells quit tinkling in there, they couldn't go into that holiest of all, they'd be dead. So anyway, I, I just I, I made that statement, you know, that that priest would be drawn out if he was not perfect, if he had any spot of sin in his life or was not the epitome of perfection, and when I thought of that, though not saying it out loud, my heart got heavy within me because I knew I am not perfect. Say amen, somebody. I, I, I said, I knew that I'm not perfect. I knew that Turner was not flawless. I, I, I've never been more hungry for God in all the years that I've been serving Him. I've never had a desire to seek Him more than I have right now. I knew that I'd been forgiven of my sins. I, I've been washed in the blood. I've been sanctified. But I also knew that I was not perfect and my heart got heavy when I thought about that and then I heard that still small voice say to me yes but he went in under the law but you come in under my grace oh can you praise God this morning he went in under my law, but you come in under my grace. Man, I could have shouted on that treadmill. I'm telling you. Listen, folks, when the when God in the flesh gave up the ghost on Calvary, and that veil, oh, I feel him this morning, when that veil was rent in twain, the partition wall was torn down that kept me out of that holiest of all. I like what old A.B. Simpson said. He said this veil represents the obstructions which came between the soul and God in the Hebrew dispensation and obscured the full revelation of His presence and grace. He said, and it represents on the other hand the removal of these obstructions and the revelation which has since come through the finished work of Christ. So it stands on the one hand for separation and the other for revelation representing the thing which once kept us from God and then representing their removal and the way in which we may come to God in the most intimate fellowship. Hallelujah to His name. Thank God for the grace of God this morning. Hallelujah. Most, most, almost all Pentecostal Christians presently will stay back in that holy place why not? It's a place of fire and power and the oil of the Spirit. But yet there is something about that holiest of all. We think about, you know, but we don't feel worthy to enter into there. We, we don't feel like that we belong in that, that next step, if you will. What do we need to be risking going in there so we just, we just don't go? But I've come to tell you this morning, we got to go because we are at the end of the age. We are in the end of days. Somebody said, well, God's not doing, I'm telling you, there was the place of salvation in that outer court. There was the place of spirit baptism in that inner court. There is a place in the presence of God that God wants to bring His church into in this hour. We may not feel holy enough, but thank God because of Christ, He has made made us worthy to enter into. Can you say amen?
I do believe that the early Christians went there. I know they did. I, I, they were led into that place. They may not have had a theological basis about it. They may not have been able to articulate how about it in any way or what I'm saying this morning, but they lived it in an experiential way. You, you know that, preacher. I absolutely am confident of it. I know they were sinful humans who met Christ and then were changed. They weren't made of anything any different than you and I. They faced doubts and fears and temptations and trials and persecution, but they faced it faced it differently than we do today. Can you say amen? They wouldn't, oh, help me preach somebody. They would have reacted different, folks, than much of the American church has acted in the last few years. Say amen again. He said to me, my church will be brought into this place of my presence in the end of days. In this place of illumination and revelation and light. I found this in the book of Psalm. I, I, I have read it over and over as a Christian for decades. But it never, never stood out until now. Psalm 36 and 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Hallelujah. In the revelation of His glory. In that place where there is illumination and light and glory, it is a place of revelation. In His light shall we see light. What's going to happen to us there, preacher? What's going to be different about us as believers, as God brings us to this place in the end time. I'm telling you there's going to be a change in those who will rise up and ascend to that hill of the Lord. I think I preached that a few years ago here. Who are ready then to be led into the holiest of all. And how is this change going to come, preacher? I'm struggling now just to make it. I'm just trying to be a decent Christian as it is. Well, in His presence in 2 Corinthians 3 and 8... But we all, He included every one of us. It doesn't matter male, female. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or the age or anything. We all with open face beholding as a glass, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know if any of you have read that little book. I used to bring it out the you know, the man in the mirror. And I deal with that extensively in there. It is in that will be changed. It is here where Paul's prayer will be answered of Ephesians 4.13 till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. He's not talking about men here individually. That man there is the body, the body of Christ under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That change is a metamorphosis. It happens gradually. It is over time as you spend time in the presence of him, with Him. It is a process of change. I mentioned in that book how that when I was a boy, I, I would find those little cocoons or little you know silky things hidden in a, in a shrub or a bush somewhere. And we take it to an adult and we'd hold that little silky thing up and say, what is this? And they'd say, that is a cocoon. There's a butterfly in that. Go put that back. Well, you don't tell a boy that. 
Because as soon as I got away from them, I dissected that. That's my first experience with biology. And so then when I got into that, I found out it was an old wormy looking insect and you felt betrayed. That's not a butterfly. But I didn't know about metamorphosis. I didn't know that over a period of time, if if I'd have left that alone, that that wormy looking insect through the process that God created it in in the first place, it would begin to change. It would go through an evolution, if you will. And it would begin to change and one day a beautiful butterfly is going to come out of that. Well that is exactly what God is wanting His church to do in this hour. We've just kind of been in a cocoon if you will. But God is saying I want you to come out. I'm going to bring you. I'm going to do something in my church in these closing days. It's not going to look the same. It's not going to act the same. It's not going to be the same. I can assure you folks for the most part We've not really been a whole lot of the light of the world. You can read, I tell them about the 11th chapter of Romans where Paul said that the church, the people of God, the Gentile church was put there to make the Jews jealous. I said we haven't done a very good job of making them jealous. We haven't done anything to make them jealous for. But he said that, he wrote that, so that means that it's going to take place. I base everything on this book the Scripture, the Holy Word of God. If God says it, I have no trouble with it. I may not see it in the natural. I may not understand how He's going to do it. I just believe that He's going to do it. And if God says His church is going to come to this place uh, to the fullness of the stature of Christ, uh, I believe God is going to bring it to the fullness of the stature of Christ. As we come boldly before the throne of grace, the holiest of all, we come into His presence, His light. Again, revelation and illumination. We take on His nature, His feelings, His wisdom, His mind, His power. Then we begin to see beyond the realm of the earthly. And then that, I believe, is where we begin to sit in heavenly places. We, can, we like Christ then begin to say, I do nothing except what I see my Father do. We quit barely holding on. Come on. Just barely getting by. Just barely surviving. We begin to live the inheritance of the saints in the end time glorious church. And then, and then in this place is the answer to that age old question, what is that rest? And how do we enter into it? I'm sitting there in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord began to deal with me one night about reading Hebrews chapter 3 again. About that rest. I went to the old commentators that I have referred to over the years. And and I, I, I went back to see what they said about it. They all agreed there was a rest in the future, an eternal Shabbat, you know, Sabbath for eternity. But they also all agreed that there was another rest that he's talking about, but they could not agree what that rest was. So I believe and now know that it was in plain sight and a veil was over this truth for centuries and centuries and centuries. He said, you believe that, I know that. I'm going to prove it to you in a moment. Now, 
Now, though, again, it is the end of days. I, I don't want to get into the specifics of it, but just the last few days, the things, and just like he was talking about earlier here in the state, the law that was passed. I, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm getting off track here a little bit. That's all right. But I, I'm going to tell you all this stuff that's happened uh, over the past couple of years and since the election and so forth, and people were just absolutely ready to quit God over it, and some preachers are ready to quit God over it because God didn't do what they thought He ought to do. Well, all along, and I said it, it's on record, that God was going to use that to judge this nation. And not only this nation, but He was going to judge this church. I've got news for you this morning. This is not in my notes, but God's going to judge this wicked nation. They, they may be 70 million of those babies crying out, their blood crying out. But I'm going to, bad that is. But when they start taking the life of those innocents, especially after they've been born, you mark down what I tell you. Not many days hence shall the judgment of God be manifested in a way like it's never been manifested in this nation. You mark it down. The things that we have seen, you know, dear me, I'm telling you, as it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be, all, I'm totally off track here, but so shall it be also in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. I've got news for you. For silly people who do not believe we are in the end of days, you keep on believing what you want to believe. I'm here to tell you we're, we're, we're making the final lap in this. Amen. We're making the final lap. The world's becoming more wicked. The judgment of God is coming. The church is going to, the church is going to rise in two ways. I believe it's going to rise to fulfill the will of God about what I'm preaching about this morning. And eventually, it's going to rise to meet Him in the air. Hallelujah to His name. Man, what a time to be living in, folks. We are no doubt the generation that's about to see the fulfillment of this word. Hallelujah. Our forefathers saw it. They looked ahead. But you and I are the people of the end time. Hallelujah. Thank God. I knew there was more. I just knew that there was something about this that had to do with the eternal purpose of God. So I hid that in my heart for a period of time. None of that ever came quickly. It was uh, uh, Brother Duke and I were talking one time and he said it's like uh, here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. That described it the best way I, I ever heard anybody say it. I know that's in the Old Testament. That all that just kept burning in my spirit. And I would meditate on what is that rest the place that Israel could not enter into because of unbelief. Then he dealt with me, before he even saw this, he dealt with me about the correlation between Israel and the church of today. Israel did not enter into that rest. And because they did not enter into it, 
The powers of darkness. I've never read this in my life to my knowledge. But I'm going to tell you what I believe he said to me. The powers of darkness who controlled their enemies. The Canaanites. The Jebusites. And all. The power of darkness. The powers of darkness. The spiritual powers. Who controlled their enemies in that land. Overpowered them. Because they did not enter into the rest of God. They fell into backsliding, unbelief, idolatry, and then finally came under the judgment of God. You and I are not only about to, but are facing a time like no other. Not, I'm not talking about the great tribulation. I'm, I, I am saying that the spirit of Antichrist is already loosened in the world. I'm not saying there's a man somewhere, but the spirit of Antichrist is already working in the world. If we, the church, do not enter into the supernatural rest, we will not be able to resist. And I don't like to use the word survive because the church was not supposed to be to just survive. I've said it in this building, in this church before, uh, maybe years ago, but I always refer back to David Wilkerson. He wrote that in a message. They, they printed it, and I never will forget. I memorized an excerpt out of that. And he said this. He said, I see a great storm coming in America in the future. And he said, in that storm, he said, I see multitudes of Christians falling by the wayside. In 2020, 32%, according to Barna Research, 32% left the church in America they said most of them have never returned. Now that is an exception right here and a few other places that I know. But across this nation, most of them never return. He said, I see multitudes of Christians falling by the wayside. Throwing in the towels, what he said. Giving up their song of joy and victory. Why, he said. Because they failed to, con to, to develop an, a, a, a consistent daily life of prayer. They failed to develop a consistent daily life of prayer or time in the presence of God. Listen, it is without doubt that this unbelief is somehow keeping the church of today from entering into the rest of God. Something somewhere is holding us back away from that eternal purpose and, and, and knowing that we are at the end of time, the end of days. And then somewhere that role of the church at this rest would play a part in making it that glorious church. I learned a, a life-changing lesson in all of this. You know, don't rush in. I, I, you know, you, you just wait on God. Because I kept, I thought, no, no, I'm not going to let my mind trying to develop this because you'll get in trouble. That's why we have a lot of false doctrine today. And error. You never rush God. You just wait on God. If He's dealing with you about something, He'll reveal it to you eventually. It is without doubt, listen, all of that was a part of that ascending the hill of the Lord. I, I'm thinking this morning, I look at that, it's like a big puzzle, and it was a piece here and a piece there. And as I look, it just kept building over a period of time. I had no clue that's what, that's what was happening. But that first message in, in 2018 of June, that who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, I, I, I look back on that now. But not only for us to survive, again as a believer, a preacher at church, to be the remnant people of God I, 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 we somehow have to understand there's more to it than that that rest, 
Over the centuries, that church read over it. Those great old commentators. You know, some thought it could have been this, or some thought it could have been that, and just kept reading over it. But I have to understand, I understood this much that in the end of days, end of days, I wish they had time. I'd preach after this morning, but the end of days, that the scripture, the light of God's Spirit will shine more on the Scripture than it has in the past. I'm not talking about something new or ultra-biblical, ultra but the light of God's Word, remember, revelation, illumination in the presence of God. But we just read over it and read over it. And then one night, I'm just upstairs and I felt in my spirit, go read. I read Exodus 33, 13. Man, I've preached on that. I've used it in messages. And here's what it said, Moses. Uh, he said, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And then I, I, I looked down to the next, at the next verse. I thought, how is it possible that I've read that so many times, but never saw what he said until then? He, God, said, my presence shall go with thee. I will give thee rest. Hallelujah. What is the rest of God? It is the presence of God. I said the rest of God is the presence of God. Well, how did Israel not enter into that? They, well, they didn't. God kept saying to them, come. He, Moses said, God wants you to come near. And they said, no, no, you go talk to him. You tell us what he has to say. Tell us Sunday morning. We'll, we'll do it. But no, no, we're not going there. No, God wants you to draw near. He always wanted them to draw near, but they didn't want to come into the presence of God. That's why they kept, why they kept sinning and rebelling. And Moses said to him one day, all right, I'm going to take the prayer tent away out of your midst. It wasn't the tabernacle. The tabernacle was not yet made at this time, even though the word is used. It was the tent of gathering. And, and, and he took it out because they didn't want to go beyond. They didn't want to go into the holiest of all as far as the presence of God. Well, where what? His presence was in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. You know what they did? They come out to their tent door of a night and, and, and they do a little, little bow and little this, you know. But they didn't go near. They didn't want to get near. No. They, they, they did not believe they could draw near. Mr. Barnes said it in his old notes. He said, pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp that the people might feel that they had forfeited the divine presence. Think about it. This tent was to be a place for the meeting, for meeting with Yahweh. Like the tabernacle which was about to be constructed. The tent of meeting as it should be called was placed afar off from the camp and the mediator and his faithful servant Joshua were alone admitted to it in Exodus 33 and 11. The ancient rabbi said he moved it at least 3,000 feet over a half mile away from the rest of the camp of the children of Israel. They had no hunger, no desire. They 
look from afar, but they did not enter in. People come to church like that every Sunday. They, they, they come, and the Spirit is moving, and they feel that tug to come near, to draw near, but they never really get in. They never really go any further than they've been for the last five years, or ten years, or twenty years, but those days are going to have to come to an end, because God is saying, yes, I've filled you with my Spirit, and you felt me, but you've got to come into the holiest of all in this end time, a place of illumination and revelation and light. There's more to it than talking in tongues and running around the church. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's more to it than that. This is a day when it's not going to be like it was yesterday. Mm. He's calling that remnant, the end time church, out of that sanctuary where we have bathed in the oil and felt the power into the holiest of all where His presence brings light, illumination, revelation, and change. Hallelujah. Supernatural rest. The veil's torn, folks. You're under grace. It's no license to sin, but you're under the grace of God and His blood is on the mercy seat. God's calling us to go beyond where we've been as a church, as a people for a long time. So you're preaching some new thing. No, it's in the book. Been in there all along. Just time to do it. To enter in. I happen to believe that the day, the day of a supernatural church is on the horizon. A church that's going to be much different than what we've seen in the past decades and decades. A church that's going to be glorious. A church that's going to come to the realization that nothing is more important than spending time in the presence of God. That I can turn the TV remote off. That I can kill the social media for just a little while. That I, come on now, that I, that I can enter into the presence of God. That I, don't matter, I may be a nobody, I may consider myself a nobody, but it doesn't matter. I know Christ, and Christ made the difference, and Christ tore down the veil of partition, and now I, I can enter into the holy place. And be changed, changed into His likeness. Stand with me. There's so many ways I would like to end this. But I'm going to tell you a little something that happened. I've had a lot of dreams in my life. Most of them was what I ate before I went to bed. <laughs> but uh, there are some, a few, that I knew were Supernatural. So one night I was home, asleep, sometime during the night, I began to dream. I saw myself in a giant, huge, old, ancient 
Colosseum. Now, it was pitch dark. And he said, how would you know that? There was an eerie, eerie, faint, yellowish, just enough light that I could make out the, the seating, but it was deteriorating. You know, it had been there a long time. Like you were being Rome and go to one of those old ancient archaeological sites, you know. There were some of the old pillars that were still standing. Just barely could see that faintly. I could see the bottom of the Colosseum. It was almost like one of those they ran the horses on. And I was standing there and I looked to my left and I saw the outline of someone that I, I didn't know them, but I knew they were a believer. It was a brother. And I waved in that direction. They acknowledged me. I still to this day do not know who it was. Then I looked to my right. And to the right, on the bottom of that old Colosseum floor. Anybody remember watching the old Ten Commandments with that, that fire begin to... I don't, uh, pretty good back then <laughs> to, to be able to do that. But it happened almost like that. It was fire, gold and fire. Begin to tw- swirl on the bottom of that floor. It got higher and higher. It was a pillar of gold and fire of glory. And it got higher and higher. And then I looked to my left and the same thing, same thing happened to the left of me. And that golden fire, I may have told you this before, but that golden fire began to burn and began to, began to swirl around and get higher and higher and higher. Nothing was said, but just that was there. And I, I knew, I knew in my dream and my spirit that that was the glory of God in the end of days. The manifestation of His glory had come. And I looked toward that individual down away from me and I began to yell out and I began to say, It's here! It's here! It's come! And I yelled so loud I woke Gwen up. And then she woke me up and said, What's the matter? And man... All I could say was, what I have seen, what I've seen. Couldn't go back to sleep. The glory of God manifesting itself. We are on the verge of things drastically changing in what we call the church. I'm not talking about a a fake church on a hellbound train that don't even know. I'm talking about the church. Something is happening. Divine intervention. A sovereign work of the power of God in this hour. If you're not in, get in. If you're just playing around the fringes, get in. And if you're in, stay in. Don't get disheartened. I've come to tell you tonight, everything I've preached in 42 years 
and believed in 42 years as a preacher. I base it all. I, I, I base everything. I'm just telling you, I'll, I'll stand on it this morning. What I'm telling you is the truth before God. God's going to keep His Word. And God's going to do the change in a sovereign way if we'll trust Him this morning. I, I feel this, folks, in my spirit. I feel it in my bones that things are about to change. The more wicked this thing becomes, the more of the grace of God manifested in His people, the body of Christ. Oh, I, I sense Him this morning. Would you just raise your hands with me for a moment? I, I don't want to... I don't want to get ahead of him. I don't want to do anything uh, just to be uh, religious. I want, to, I want his will to be done. I want his will to be done. 